You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Downers, welcome back to the show. My name's Matt Carter, and i uh, got a good episode for you today. This one's different in that it's kind of not a Break It Down episode, or is it? It's kind of hard to tell. You guys know I've been doing the labeled podcast for Tooth & Nail Records for a while now, and that thing is uh, its really working out. It's becoming a, a good podcast and a big podcast, and it looks like it's going to get renewed and keep on going. Uh, but what's funny about it is sometimes the stuff that I do on that podcast winds up being real similar to stuff I do on this podcast. So this episode is basically that way. It's an episode that I would have gladly made for this podcast, so I thought I'd go ahead and share it in this feed and just give you a chance if you haven't checked out the labeled podcast to hear what I'm up to over there. This one's about Aaron Marsh from Copeland, uh, or it's about the band Copeland, and more specifically, it's mostly about their first album, Beneath the Medicine Tree. Now, that album I love. I was a huge fan of it when it came out. Uh, I knew about it before it came out, and they were in our scene. We were fighting for the same spots on record labels to try to get signed. Copeland and Emery are about exactly the same age, and we toured together early. And uh, this is a song, you know, songs on there we used to all, Emery used to listen to together, riding in the van and being super emo and into it. And we always thought there was stuff in the lyrics there. We'd heard rumors of how the lyrics go and that it was a theme record or a concept record and stuff like that. And uh, never really talked to Aaron too much about it. And he doesn't talk about a lot of that stuff in the press. But I figured, hey, why not give it a shot? We'll do something like where I break down that album and what the songs mean and what the lyrics are like. And it seemed like it would go good on both podcasts. So hence it being on this feed as well. It's also Thanksgiving week and I just got in late last night from our Emory tour. And I also have to go pick out a turkey and get to work on that thing. I hope you guys have a good Thanksgiving. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode and uh, a lot of good stuff coming in the future. But thank you guys for listening to and supporting this podcast. It means a lot. I'm having a great time um, just with all the stuff that's going on. I hope everybody else is having as much good stuff happening in their life as I am. I'm very much enjoying mine and I thank you as, as we're going to be thankful. I'm thankful for the thousands of people that listen to this show. It's a uh, you know, and I mean that sincerely. So here we go. Let's hope you guys like this episode. And if you do, remember to just go over and subscribe to the labeled podcast itself if you like this type of episode. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Hey everybody and welcome back to Labeled, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth and Nail Records. My name's Matt Carter and I know that we do a lot of music and cover a lot of topics on here that are, you know, the hardcore and the heavy and the aggressive and the punk and all the, you know, the moshing stuff y'all like, but there's a lot more to the Tooth and Nail catalog than that and this week we're going to focus on a band that put out their first record on Tooth and Nail at least in 2008. It's called You Are My Sunshine and the band is Copeland. Now, I tell you what, I don't think I'm doing this intro right if we're going to be talking about Copeland. Let me, let me show shift gears here a little bit. Let me try this again. If you find yourself here, 
This week, we're here to explore the inspiration and lyrical nuance behind Copeland's 2003 album, Beneath the Medicine Tree, with their frontman, Aaron Marsh, who I happen to be good friends with and called up recently to interview him. Now, this record came out in 2003 and was signed to the Militia Group by former tooth and nail A&R guy, Chad Pearson. When Copeland came to the scene, they were immediately accepted, embraced, and a force to be reckoned with, even in the punk, emo, and hardcore scene. But it wasn't because of their insane stage presence or their aggressive music or anything like that. It's because of the thoughtful lyrics and the melodic tune sung by an emo kid with a silver toned voice. interview here with Aaron, he gives us an insider's perspective on what inspired the lyrics, the cover artwork, and the true story behind the theme of this entire album, of which there are a lot of rumors, most of which never addressed before, or I've never heard addressed in detail as much as in this interview, so I think you will like it. And yes, this album does involve a girlfriend, illness, death, and more. So take a deep breath and sit back with me, and we're going to talk to Aaron Marsh and do a deep dive into their album, Beneath the Medicine Tree. Today's show is sponsored by Movement. Get 15% off your watch purchase by going to MVMT.com slash labeled. One more time, that's MVMT.com slash labeled. Today's show is also sponsored by Harry's Razors. You can get $5 off a limited edition holiday shave set by visiting harrys.com slash labeled. Well, whenever you do your first record, it's always it's always just like a collection of all the the best stuff that you'd done over like a bunch of years, right? Because mm-hmm. you hadn't really made a record yet. So there's stuff from when I was like 17, high school age, and I think when we recorded it, I think I was didn't it, it came out in 03, so yep. we recorded it in the middle of 02. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was 21 or 22 when we so did you- it. You were 21 when that came out, and you had some of the material on there dates back to stuff that you wrote when you were 17. Yeah. Which stuff is that? Give us a t- see if you can remember. Let's let's get all the way into that. What I wrote, priceless, when I was about 17 or 18. I remember when I'd run to you through fields of white flowers. Your embrace was my air. I needed you. And walking downtown. We were walking down. Also, the chorus of that when I was 17. Yeah, so all, and then, yeah, the stuff from when I was 20. It's it just like a whole span of stuff. I kind of pulled stuff from past bands that I had been in and stuff that I hadn't gotten a chance to do a decent recording of. Actually, I mean, really nothing that I had had really had a decent recording. Mm-hmm. Um, That's kind of my first time making, making a real record. Hey, this is Aaron Sprinkle. I had the honor and privilege of producing the Copeland album, You Are My Sunshine. Working with Aaron Marsh was definitely a one of a kind experience for me. He had such a clear vision, like walking into the studio with exactly what he wanted to hear coming out of the speakers. 
And not only that, but it was a beautiful vision, and he had the ability to realize it in a way that I hadn't really ever seen before. I'm really grateful that I got to make that record with him. It definitely opened my eyes to be able to get a glimpse inside his mind and how he looks at music and the world. Well, so I'm going to try to paint the perspective of mine of who Copeland is and was and how I found out about him real quick. This should, this should be interesting. <laughs> so my perspective on Copeland is this. Emory was trying to get signed. We had the same way. We had had all our music written for, we've been working on it for a couple of years. And, and we drove to Militia Group and knocked on the door and a guy named Craig oh came gosh. out. You know Craig? Oh yeah, I remember yeah. Craig. So Craig at Militia Group came out and we told him who we were and what we were there to do and said, can we play for you in the parking lot? I think you'll like us. I think we're right up your alley. Uh, and he said, you know, we only sign a few bands and we just signed a band and we can only take about one band at a time. We think you're good, but we've already signed this band called Copeland. They're going to be really good. We're really excited about them and they have our newest roster spot and that's what we're going to focus on. So thank you and good day mm-hmm. um, to, to Emory is what they told mm-hmm. us. But they were really Man. nice, of course. So you've been and I was salty like, ever since yes i've been salty ever since i was like who are these copeland <laughs> bastards no I, I assumed that they were really good and i was listening to the to militia group stuff in that time and was a big fan obviously so i had it in my head that they would probably sound like us or there would be a <laughs> they would be some heavy kind oh, of rock man. band in that thing and then when copeland finally came out i was really ex- eager to hear it and it came on it was this soft music basically or at least that's what i thought i thought what is this i mean what is this piano soft falsetto singing i was surprised by that but impressed with it i listened to it a bunch of times and then became a fan like really quickly so i was like that's, oh that's I nice of it. you thank you i didn't really get it at the time that how cool i think the musical approach was it was like indie rock and subtle and beautiful and there was just way more layers and stuff in there that I even recognize now that I didn't recognize even at the time. It does seem like, you know, the same way like hardcore music kind of split off in the early days from hardcore came like the e- like the emo thing where people weren't turning on their distortion pedals until mm-hmm. two minutes into the song and, you know, like the, the drums would be heavy but the guitars would be light, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the Sunny Day Real Estate and the Minerals right. and... You know, we kind of came from the scene of a harder of a harder sound, but kind of embraced the the prettier side. What did it feel like back then being uh, Copeland on on stage? Tell me what just just what was a Copeland show like back then? I think we felt like our music had the ability to like even if people didn't know our songs, I felt like I had the ability and it's always my goal to like make an emotional connection with mm-hmm. you know we kind of had these like passionate songs and so you know I was looking for the kids in the crowd who would you know close their eyes during you know and kind of like feel the music. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was all about like, especially if you're in a room with, you know, 80 kids or whatever, 
it's like I don't know. You, is this, there's an opportunity to like really make a make a connection with people. So yeah, I think that was that was what it was all about for me when I was on stage, like trying to to deliver the songs in a way that would like leave a lasting impression. You know, we we were never the band that would like you know flip out on stage or mm-hmm. have like a you know Cirque du Soleil <laughs> type of backflips yeah. or guitar spins. But it was all of, always our goal to like kind of hook them with like the emotion of the song. That is so emo. You wanted to, you looked out there and we saw were. the kids with their eyes closed and zeroed in on yep. that and, mm-hmm. and, and you were genuine in that like uh, you would feel like you weren't just uh, you were real present with that every time you do the same songs even when you've done it 400 times kinda yeah I think it's just you, if you love music enough and you love you know I, I didn't love like road life you know people are pretty well aware of the fact that I don't really love being on tour but mm-hmm. I do love just being on stage and just like creating something and having the crowd kind of feel that energy and yeah it's there's kind of nothing like it hmm. especially in the early days man it was it was exciting it was exciting especially you get to a place you've never been before and have people like you know half the crowd knows the song yeah oh yeah you know that's super cool absolutely like you always do So Beneath the Medicine Tree came out in 2003, and uh, I found a review from it. The one I found is from punknews.org. This guy opens, I won't say his name or anything. I mean, these guys have a job to do. They have to review stuff, and certainly they don't ever really know what they're, what they're doing. But, <laughs> and you know, sometimes history's not kind to them, but. This kid was 18. Yeah, for sure. sure. They're just trying to write maybe, do it. Maybe. So I'm not maybe trying to 18. hammer them for that, but yeah, maybe just an 18-year-old kid on the side. <laughs> but he goes, I must admit that I feel slightly awkward trying to form a critical view of Copeland's debut album, Beneath the Medicine Tree. Having left their home scene in Florida after signing with the Militia Group record label, the band is a recent migrant to Atlanta. And frontman Aaron Mesh openly... Mesh. Re- <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I just remembered this review now. Mesh, yep. Yeah, frontman Aaron Mesh openly reveals the album was shaped by two recent tragedies in his life. The hospitalization of his girlfriend as she struggled with lupus and the death of his grandmother. I won't read the whole thing there, but that's his open... He continues to refer to you as Mesh, uh, Aaron Mesh, the rest <laughs> of the... For the rest of the thing, it. and the and the and he he did give it three out of five stars, but the tone of it is um is is not so great. He says that basically that his take on it is he feels bad about trying to give this a bad review because he doesn't really like it, but he believes that you are sincere in your lyrics. So and it's about this bad stuff like your girlfriend and your grandma. Yeah. So he feels guilty, but he just thinks it's just you know some combination of dashboard Benfolds and the weaker thans. So. He says, and I had that in my high school. I had the same phase, but I've mostly moved away from there. So he's way Look, ahead of you. Who I hold on? <laughs> let me stop you right there. Dashboard Ben folds and the weaker than that's right. Like that's a like that's a bad thing. Yeah, but and he was oh, over this. He said he used to listen to that stuff back in high school, and he's passed it now. Oh, this is two thousand three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he says, I but I believe he was being sincere. He goes, sadly, the music on Beneath the Medicine Tree is no revelation. Fans of Dashboard, the weaker than's latest offerings, will surely find something to like here blah 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 but every track is slow and mid-tempo and several times it feels like just a more electric version of Chris Caraba's dashboard style it's a shame because sure. obviously their vocalist and songwriter Aaron Mesh has something Mesh. personal to write about blah 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 <laughs> so you know there, there's well, your first review there I don't I don't mind that review actually because I mean I kind of I mean I agree with a lot of that 
You agree that your name is Aaron Mesh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. Go I'm, ahead. Change, I'm updating my <laughs> Facebook right now. Hold on a second. Um, well, yeah. I mean, well, the the fact that the fact that he would consider the songs to be sincere, but the music is just not progressive enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I I agree. If I had to remake the record, I would make the music more progressive and a little more adventurous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was certainly sincere. Maybe I mean, maybe the most, maybe I was sincere to a fault, you know, like uh, kind of set myself up to maybe never again write anything that like intensely personal. Really? Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, there are songs on that that I wrote the song not thinking that I would ever release it, but just so that the subject matter of the song would hear it and maybe think about me. I probably should not have, uh, not many people know this, but her name is, uh, the song's called When Paula Sparks. First time I heard Copeland, huh? Okay, here's the guy that signed him in the first place, Chad Pearson. It's gonna have to be when Aaron Hartley, who runs a label called Theory 8, sent the Militia Group a split record he was doing with a band called Pacifico and a band called Copeland. Instantly, when we heard it, we knew we had to work with Copeland. We instantly reached out to both Aaron Hartley and Aaron Marsh and probably James Likeness as well and started talking to him. And just from our conversations on the phone, instant messenger, we knew we wanted to be part of Copeland. We wanted to, to put out the records. I would also say it was the first time that Militia Group ever signed a act without ever seeing them live or I think even meeting them beforehand. But uh, you could just tell they were special. That Beneath Medicine Tree, when it came in, it just... It blew us away, obviously. I mean, the storytelling is phenomenal. The musicianship is phenomenal. The artwork was incredible. Um, And you could just tell that there's heart behind it, that they actually felt it. Aaron's voice, the drumming, just everything was truly, truly special. We even had Aaron Marsh sing at my wife and I's wedding. So, yeah, Beneath Medicine Tree. You could tell, I mean, that that was a, a game-changer moment for the Militia Group. Um, and I think for the scene as well. I mean, just look at the record today. It still t- stands the test of time. And I absolutely am floored that I got to uh, be a small part of that record in that moment of time. kind of a play on word her actual name her last name is sparks so um i actually put her entire name in the song it's kind of inspired by the gin blossoms had a song called allison road Mm -hmm. and i had a friend named allison rhodes Mm r-h-o-d-e-s allison rhodes Uh and so whenever someone would hear her name you know like the cashier or whatever the bank teller would laugh and say oh like the like like the gin blossom Mm -hmm. song I think that made her feel really good, really special. And I was like, oh man, what if I put Paula's full name in a song? And oh my gosh. I was like, <laughs> I was like, she would, she'll, you know, 
she'll feel so great. She'll never forget me. And uh, I think it, it definitely didn't have the... The desired effect. <laughs> I didn't have the desired effect. She was not thrilled that I put her full name in the song. That's maybe the only song in my entire career that I wrote the lyrics before there was music. I, I kind of wrote, I mean, essentially wrote a poem and then, you know, we kind of just vibed out with some music and I like kind of in a very like uh, stream of consciousness kind of way just sang these lyrics over the music that we were doing. I've never done that since and I've never, I'd never done that before. Lyrically, uh, the only thing I really remember was a device I used in the lyrics. I referenced uh, Pablo Neruda, who uh, is a poet, and he uses the moon as a, a symbol of jealousy. Um, mm -hmm. I guess that maybe the moon's jealous of the sun. And so I've actually used that moon jealousy image a few times in lyrics, and uh, that was one of them. Uh, the moon is jealous of me because I get to see my love during the day and so the moon is jealous of me because he only gets to see her at night so um that's wow. the yeah. that's the um the moon motif it starts with sleep now moon and then later sleep on sleep now moon and a jealous so, moon in love yeah he doesn't get to see her during the day but i do wow i was like a dude who'd been brokenhearted who'd been through some difficult emotional times with a, a girlfriend who was dealing with health problems and lots of other different kinds of stressors. And so I was like, man, I'll just write a song and she'll think about me. You know, I went, not even thinking about like, oh, in another two years, I'm going to make a record and this is going to, and like the whole country is going to hear it. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I'll put this up on mp3.com and, and, you know, and she's definitely going to call me next week and like, you know, we're going to like talk and, you know, like I was, I was yeah. like completely idealistic with, with some of these songs. Yeah. Not thinking about them being, you know, heard by the public and cause I didn't know, I didn't know I was going to have like a real career or, you know, have a big, a big audience. I'm going to be one of those fans now. And I want to know more of this story because when I got into this album, there's a bunch of stuff to it, but it's obviously thematic to some degree. I don't understand or For know sure. all the backstory. I know there's rumors about it. So whatever we could talk about it, I'm just interested as a fan. But it's called Beneath the Medicine Tree. The artwork is medical. There's a lot of medical themes in there. And you've explained some of this about Paula and that song. But how many of the songs are, and what songs specifically are about this topic? I mean, this isn't a concept record. Let's see the. Oh, let me tell you what I heard back in 2003. Okay, before... yeah. You what? Well, yeah, you give give me the rumor, and then I'll snopes it for the, you. Yeah, snopes it for me. The the Copeland record is crazy. Do you know what it's about? No, what's it about? Well, it's a the singer had this girlfriend that they were like super in love and engaged but then she got sick and she almost died and she was in the hospital and he was there and he wrote all the songs like by her hospital bed for her and then she got sicker and sicker and he's there with her the whole time and then she eventually got better and as soon as she got better she dumped him that's the uh, cartoon version of what i would have heard and that's what the whole album is about this is what i heard too really like most of the songs were written after the fact because i i don't know when i'm in like a really tough emotional time the songs don't come to me then it's usually like after as i'm reflecting mm -hmm. as i'm kind of like coping and um kind of on the recovery side of like an emotional 
mm-hmm. experience. So it's always afterwards. But I mean, yeah, I had a serious girlfriend. We were young, 18. Uh, she had lupus. She was in Florida for college, which is where I live. And uh, we met at college and I was, you know, doing music the whole time. During that time, my grandmother passed away. So I had written a few songs that were kind of, you know, those might be the songs that sound like the most kind of like quote unquote Christian. You know, we mm-hmm. I don't have any, there are no Christian songs on any Copeland records, but those have like a kind of a hopeful, just those songs that you write, you're like kind of coping with your mortality and coping with the loss of a loved one. Which so, songs are those? The oh, Priceless. I remember when I'd run to you the fields of white flowers Your embrace was my air I actually sang that at my grandmother's funeral. Oh, man. Testing the Strong Ones was another one that was written kind of well after the fact, and it had little kind of threads of my grandmother and just the difficult time with uh, my, my girlfriend with Paula. And then the last track, uh, When Finally Set Free, that one's about my grandmother, too. Folks, let me tell you about BarkBox. BarkBox is a company that I love, but I love it only part of the way to the amount that my dog loves it. And you guys know I have a dog named Reggie, and he's not even a good dog. I'm telling you, he's a bad dog. And I feel like if I had run into to, uh, BarkBox earlier in his life, then he would have been a more appreciative dog and a happier dog, and he would do less bad things like getting in the trash can and open our freezer and eat all the frozen food, and I find him shivering on the couch later. I feel like had I encountered BarkBox earlier in his life, he would have avoided those things because he'd have been so happy about the stuff that's in this box. In fact, the stuff in this box is so good, I want to eat some of it. I don't, but I want to. I had to admit that. Now, every month, BarkBox picks the best all-natural treats and innovative toys to match your dog's unique needs, including allergies and whether or not he's a heavy chewer or lighter chewer. All the edible stuff they have is made in the USA and Canada, or Canada, and 100% of the pro- products are tested on their own animals so the stuff is good the stuff is safe there's so much stuff that people give pets that's like you really shouldn't be doing it i mean you know giving your pets good foods and good treats and things like that is kind of important because you never know what you're going to get from from some other sources but this stuff is tested proved good high quality stuff each month the box is themed like uh they have a good one recently it was brooklyn hipster and it's fun and i know the dogs miss out on some of that humor but you will get it you will enjoy getting the box your dog will be happy because of it and i you know also makes a good gift for somebody you know that has a dog um they have new and unique toys they continue to add to it all the time and here's here's the cool part even if you interpret that your dog doesn't like something in the box 
they'll send you something else. So the stuff is good. I know there's lots of things that your dog likes and doesn't like. If there's something they don't like, you send it back. Make that dog happy. That's what this company's about. Also, free shipping on any bark box within the continental U.S. So, uh, you know, this is uh, this is something that I do recommend. I think it is very, very good. Uh, I told you one of the things that it was in our box before is this chew toy, and it's Reggie's a tough chewer, a hard chewer, so they have stuff in there that takes him a long time to get through, which I really appreciate. So that's, that's just one thing I liked about it, as well as a whole bunch of other things. And in addition to the free shipping and the guaranteed stuff, for a free extra month of BarkBox, you can visit BarkBox.com slash down when you subscribe to a six or 12 month plan. You get the first month for free. Okay, so let me tell you that one more time. Go to barkbox.com forward slash down, get you a plan to take care of your dog. You'll love it, and the dog will love it. Barkbox.com forward slash down. And then pretty much, I think the rest of it is about Paula. All the other songs that With you didn't just all, name. All the other. Are, All the other are songs about are about Paula. Paula, except for maybe Walking Downtown, because that was written a lot earlier. That was just like about a, a high school girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So it, it is relatively close to, the, I mean, the, the way that I said that rumor back to you is obviously exaggerated in hearing it and retelling it, but it's not really as far off as I thought it might be. Yeah, it's not that far off. Um, the only difference is I wasn't I wasn't writing music by the hospital bed, uh, but, right, you know, right. I was, you know, writing music inspired by that time. But uh, so w- is that the part true about she got well and then dumped you? She uh, she didn't get well. Lupus, you have your whole life. So um, she didn't get well. She uh, she got so sick that she couldn't keep going to school. Mm-hmm. So she left and went back to California. Uh, and that's the Cal- that's where California. That's the California part. That song started as is the outro to another song from like a previous EP. It was just a like a little jam that we did. It's kind of an impromptu outro, and uh, we had like this kind of like instrumental bit that we did after the song. Like on the live version, we like kind of drew out the outro a little bit. And I just kind of like improv some lyrics over it. And eventually my improvs turned into not improvs anymore because <laughs> I was doing the same thing every time. And mm-hmm. uh, and that was what kind of, uh, that's kind of the genesis of that song. So. But you were improving these lyrics about Paula being back in California and all that, though. I mean, it had a theme to it, even if you were just improvising. You weren't just making it up. Yeah. So, so she continued trying to recover in California, and as she was recovering, I think the the stress of the long distance relationship was complicating her illness. You know, stress can complicate mm-hmm. lupus. It can complicate lots of different types of illnesses. So, um, I think part of her recovery was, you know, she need she kind of needed to break off our relationship so she could focus on recovering and then uh yeah we just never really spoke again I'll see you to say that you want to see me too 
And so the lyrics, though, still. Um, if, I mean, it's an interesting that you improv them and they turn into really. I mean, I really like where they, how they turned out. Thanks. Yeah, come back from California. All of us here in Florida. I mean, we had a big group of friends who were kind of tight knit. The band and all our homies and the girlfriends of the band. We hung out a lot, so I kind of felt like I was singing it from, not just from my point of view, but all of us here miss you and yeah star for your attention mm-hmm. I, I that's think a I, big lyric there but you get tattoos of people saying have stuff like that yeah on, right yeah, yeah yeah so that was just something that we had said to each other before and just one of those just like inside kind of lovey-dovey wow and you haven't spoken so. to her ever still since uh so man maybe eight years later she turned up at a show Oh wow! In uh, at the House of Blues in Hollywood, that was a interesting night because she didn't tell me she was coming. She just showed up. So and, and you just saw her out of the blue. <laughs> she was there. Saw her. Um, we caught up briefly after the show, but so you do you know yeah. you don't know that she was uh, unhappy that you had done that and used her whole name and that, those kinds of things. I think she she told me that night that yeah that wasn't because i mean we'd never had a chance to talk about it she had mm-hmm. we hadn't talked since for two years maybe before the record came out that we had even spoken so yeah it'd been a long time Man, this is definitely more than I have ever shared about this era. <laughs> well, if it's okay with you, that's great. If not, I'd be glad yeah. to tighten it up or take anything out. But I, th- you know, I appreciate you trusting me enough to talk about it and share it. Well, that's cool. Just don't go looking her up and. No, I'm not gonna go get quotes from her. Don't worry. <laughs> well, let me tell the listeners: don't go harass her and tell her to listen to this because she doesn't need that stress. I hope she has a good stuff going on in her life and doesn't need to dig into this. You know, it's striking me to, I'm even becoming more and more convinced of the sincerity of this music. It's really given me even a deeper appreciation just kind of thinking through it here. I didn't even realize that it was this profound of a thing. It's definitely, it really is that creative artist thing where you really were putting yourself out there. And that vulnerability is what makes it work. I, you know, everybody knows that, everybody says that. But if it's real, if it's true, if it's specific, I mean, these are the rules of art that, that make it really good. But then, you know, people do get you know, kind of burned by it. Sure. You know, another profound thing about it is with all the medical themes to it, the artwork, you just can't, especially in that day and age, artwork's less important now, but having that CD with that hospital bed and somebody, a patient on it with that overlay kind of thing, that yeah. is just, that's before you even listen to it, you're already, that's where you are. And that right. is so powerful because so many people, everybody's had somebody in the hospital. Everybody's lost a grandparent. Everybody's, you know, that is so human and relatable and sincere in your part. But tell me about the artwork. See, uh, so the bass player in the band at the time, James, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he was a graphic designer also. His main creative input in the band was the, the you know, the graphic side. That was his passion. So, yeah, he... um he had a friend whose mom or aunt or something was a hospital administrator. Usually they don't let you like carry professional cameras around hospitals. They don't like that too much, but they let him go in and 
shoot some beautiful photos of like hospital stuff. It was all kind of cold and and yeah, he just had this this great idea for for these overlays. Right before he joined the band, he had a art piece with this kind of overlay of these illustrations on photos. And that was kind of where we where we pulled the inspiration from was a piece that he did previously. But um, but yeah, I I thought it was really great. And we got I mean we got lots of compliments about the artwork all the time. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty pretty memorable packaging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about coffee. Tell me about those, that song lyrics specifically. Wrote it after Paula and I had split up. It's pretty much just like reminiscing about the times when things were good. Being 19-year-olds, small town, kind of staying up all night, talking at a diner. Just, just like the best, the best time when you have kind of no cares and just like just focused on each other. Mm-hmm. So that was just like uh, just reminiscing about when things were good. So many things I have to say. I'll stay up all night to hear about your day. We do the best we can in a small town. Act like kids in love when the sun goes down. Okay, sorry guys, I gotta interrupt just one more time. Please forgive me, but I gotta tell you about Harry's razors. You've heard me talk about Harry's razors in the past, and that's because I love them. In fact, I love shaving it, to be honest. And I think what I like about shaving is just, I don't know, it's, it's not digital. It's this analog grooming thing that you have to do, and it's a little bit dangerous. There's, you know, in my Harry's razors, there's five very sharp German engineered razor blades right there, micrometers from my face. And I just, I really enjoy that this day and age. Now, I already have a Harry's razor, and I bet you do too, but let me have you think of it this way. How about a gift? Give somebody else the perfect gift. So you already know they make amazing quality products at super reasonable prices, and that over 3 million guys have switched to this company, and that's for very good reason. But I I tell you what, think of somebody you can give a gift to, a dad, a fiance, a boyfriend, a husband, whatever. Just think of somebody that shaves, and then... Get them a Harry's razor. And here's what you want to do to make it special for them. Like they say, it's the thought that counts. Personal engraving option. You can get a custom gift set that fits the specific needs. Even a, you know, even a box for somebody who already uses Harry's. But get them a personally engraved option. I think that will make a nice touch. That person will think of you every time they shave. This holiday, Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shaving sets that make perfect gifts. They're built with your guy in mind, so you'll know that he'll love them. They come with the German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, foaming shave gel that smells amazing, and, and a special limited edition winter chrome and emerald green handles. I got one the other day. I love love it, especially that green one. It's perfect for the holidays. And like I said, you can personalize it with your own engraving. So no matter what you're looking for, Harry's has got you covered. This holiday, give Harry's and give handsome. Get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of the free shipping. To get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last, go to harrys.com slash labeled right now. That's harrys.com slash labeled. Even though the record doesn't sound particularly experimental, we had like 
an ethic of experimenting. We wanted, you know, we were we were trying to push boundaries, and I think we pushed boundaries from where we had been. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got compared to Dashboard a lot more than I thought. <laughs> and like, I, I didn't think we sounded enough like Dashboard mm-hmm. to get that uh, comparison so often, but he was kind of like the zeitgeist of the time. So mm-hmm. I think probably if you were even in the ballpark of Dashboard, you right. kind of got the Dashboard yeah, comparison. But, or if you were like us at all, everything was, you had you were like Thursday is all you could be. Whatever was the big band that was doing some of the similar stuff ahead of you, you would get compared to. But I don't think it's a good comparison due to Dashboard. I really don't. But there is the one unique thing about it that that maybe draws the mind to that from my point of view, which is, oh, I love Further Seems Forever. Here here we go. What's the next thing going to be? Because I love these emotional lyrics and I love this where this is going. And then it's like, he did a what? Softer acoustic. Yeah. You know, so that yeah. feeling and to, to, for where Copeland was and the scene it was in and the label it was on, it was like, beautiful mistake, noise ratchet, Copeland. There's the Wait, soft what? one. Yeah. The soft one, but it's the same things. It's jumping off the same platform as everybody else. And you took the unique you. left turn that was especially looking back on it brilliant i mean it just it's great oh, it's how you nice. stood out it's sincere it's the totally the right thing to do but it is a little bit of a left turn if you're listening to get up kids and clarity and now here we go what would be sure. influenced by that you wouldn't expect this and so the fact that it stands out i think is is probably what's at play there but uh yeah you know and there's nothing wrong with being compared to dashboard either oh man i wish i could i wish i could belt like that dude man <laughs> i have i have my voice does smooth and extra smooth yeah. I, I don't have that that belting that power <laughs> that he has so cool well you're able to get the dynamics to where you can do some incredibly powerful stuff like california for instance so you're using you use dynamics tremendously to achieve really totally heaviness even in the same record which is very powerful instead of just beating people over the head with heaviness It's worth noting to me that emo gets this bad rap and you get all the people, you know, flaunting its cliches and it's because people took genuine real music like this that's obviously grounded. Like you said, that phrase, star for your attention, is one that you were speaking to your friends about this subject and then wrote a vulnerable song about it. Right. Now you're going to, and this kind of pisses me off, but then you fast forward as after this is in the zeitgeist and stuff like that and you have all these hack, derivative, stupid lyrics that, that sound like this or copy this that aren't genuine. They're just supposed to make the vibe of emo. And of <laughs> course that becomes distasteful and silly and easy to make fun of. But sure. it's rooted in this genuine vulnerability of something that's real so you know it's a pet peeve of mine that people kind of ruined emo by just turned into a false caricature kind of thing you know what i mean well emo's emo's back yeah it's you know i (laughs) feel weird just labeling stuff it's like i wanted Mm -hmm. you know the gin blossoms aren't emo and i wanted to you know i want to do stuff like the gin blossoms or Mm -hmm. you know like yeah i liked mineral and people call them emo but it's just like is emo just emotional like you know it's counting crows emo it's like 
Yeah, right. That, like, but that's how you got there. But it turned into this thing where it's these these. I don't. I'm not making fun of or mad at people who were just trying to do a certain thing. But it, the language of it and these type of standout lyrics and stuff wound up just being so over because they were so good and powerful and useful that they became cliche and then overdone and that's just the way things have to go so when you go back and look at it now and try and talk about it it's hard to explain that this is real and this other crap is is just people copying this but that is this is a foundational song and lyric of many many iterations of of things that came after it so yeah i feel that recognize that if they missed it the first time around at least yeah man honestly that those just sound like that's what I, that's what I was feeling, and and even to the point of like, yeah, I didn't I didn't care whether it was on a record or if lots of people heard it. I was literally writing it for one person, so I think that's and that's something that I don't think I ever have really done again. I think maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the one of the spoils of like becoming you know having like whatever like amount of success that people have or that that i've had you know you you kind of stop you stop doing the thing where you only write for one specific reason you know because now i know if i write something and release it with the name copeland on it people are going to hear it Mm -hmm. it's not i'm not writing for one person anymore i'm not writing for myself i'm not writing for one specific subject i whether i like it or not in my head i know that there's going to be more people hearing it and i'm going to have to I'm gonna have to answer questions about it, or people are gonna dig into it, or 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 just my own my own legacy. You know, I'm gonna have to hear it. You know, ten years later, it'll still be part of part of my history. So it it changes the way you write. I wish it didn't. I wish it could still be. You know, I get I so, get why um I, you know, I I get why people don't make the same like their first record. People never make that first record again, right? You think you can't go back? You can't do that again, or you just are choosing not to? I I can't. I literally can't. I there's no way that I could write something just specifically for one person without even considering that lots of people will hear it. You know what I mean? Like no matter what it is, even if it's something real and current that you felt deeply about, let's say your kids or anything, you you couldn't even. Why is that? Why can't you do it again? Right. Uh, because I know. I know also. That it has an it has an audience, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it has an audience that isn't that, you know. I will never, I'll never get that back. I'll never get that mindset back of like, mm-hmm. no one's gonna hear this. I'm just gonna put it up on MP3.com, and the person I'm writing about might be the only person that hears it. She changes your mind. You know, I will, I'll ne- implications of I'll, everything. I'll never get, I'll never get that back. So, so yeah, it, all my writing 
you know, is going to be different. And I can't, I can't help it. I'm a different person. I write for a different thing now. And if I was going to write something for one person, like the way I wrote back then, completely genuine. This is for one person to hear, to communicate whatever emotion I'm com- trying to communicate, right? Mm-hmm. I can I can't genuinely do that again because now no matter no matter what there is a bigger audience there is mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be heard and I know that it's going to be heard by other people. How do you feel about that though? Did you regret that? Do you think that was too vulnerable to be? I definitely don't regret it. I think I kind of painted I painted a little bit of a target on my back with just how much of my like my personal shit that I put into these songs, I, I think I invited a lot of um, just like fans and interviewers kind of like prying into prying into my personal life. I mean, they would, you know, they would kind of take it, take it really far, like ask about Paula and was, you know, how was she doing? When did we last talk? So unless I'm just like emailing songs to people that I want to write about, <laughs> uh, I, I I can't. Do you think that's true of everybody? I mean, is that true of uh, even? I, I was thinking about that with the Foo Fighters. Like, what do they do now? Is stadium rock? Who cares? Like, they can't write their first record again, or they wa- or they choose not to. Weezer can't write Pinkerton again, or they won't. I don't think they can. Yeah, I don't think they can. Well, but I'll, and Pinkerton's a weird one because that was his second. Yeah, it was that's his, true. It was his second record, so. But it so, was the first time he chose to be that vulnerable, though. Yeah, I don't think he and, can. I don't think he's, yeah. a, he's not the same person he was back then. Is that the, is that the way? Is every first band's record the, their best record then? No, no, because I think people get better at making records. But, mm-hmm. but maybe their first record is their most genuine record. It's a special thing, the first record of any band, because like you said at the top of this interview, it's what you've been working on like crazy, fervently, over a lot of time, not just since the last record. And right. So, and it's, it's fused with this ignorance and confidence. Yeah. At the same yeah. time. I, I, there's somehow <laughs> totally. the same, there's two sides of the coin of ignorance and confidence there that, that's special. They don't know that they're going to have an audience. They don't know that they're going to get a record deal. They don't know that, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to love it. There's right in what they feel. They have no idea how things can be received or what criticism you might draw. You can't even imagine the criticism that you're going to get when you're do- before anybody's heard it. You know? Yeah, and I don't even think they're writing maybe their their best, their most artistic. They're just writing. They're just writing what they feel. It's, it's like a like a naivety about it. That's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll, they'll never get that back. You can't. This is great. I mean, I appreciate so much your willingness to share and, and get into all this stuff with me because I know other people are going to appreciate it, but it's, I can kind of come to this in this as kind of just a fan that I like this music. I've thought about it a decent amount, and now I get to I have the privilege of getting to talk to its creator Thanks, and man. get to hear stuff that nobody else gets to hear, and I'm going to get to share it. So That's I do cool. appreciate this very much. What can you tell us about the new one that you're working on now? Very excited about that. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, doing it at my place in Florida. I have a studio in Florida. We've been writing for about a year, and um, yeah, it's coming out coming out cool so far. A lot more electronic elements. Um, uh, Steven Lawrenson, who is Brian Lawrenson's brother, mm-hmm. he joined the band. Uh, he toured with us back in the day, and then when we reformed, he kind of officially joined the band, and 
he's like real real savvy with the electronic stuff so he's um it's been it's been fun having him as like a a new element to like you know to kind of compliment what Brian and I have always done. That that sounds I think everybody'll be looking very forward to that as well. I, it's really exciting to to have people that you know like and get to have long careers like this that that we're still doing this type of thing today and that you're still working on this and there's new Copeland on the way after you know what is I mean I you've been a band for 16 years kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's a uh, you know there's something to that where there's a will power to it there's also a validation and it wouldn't exist if it wasn't worth existing and it's just a testament to hard work over the long haul and something that should exist getting to exist is the way i feel about certain certain things like this but congratulations to you having a a, a career and a legacy thanks, and, a, and something original that so many people connect to so thanks man likewise i'm i'm super glad to to have been around to, for, for your whole career thus far man thank you likewise man cool to see like you know a bunch of bunch of kids from one scene mm-hmm. trying to do something creative and having the support of fans and the support supportive labels that allow them mm-hmm. to have some longevity it's pretty cool thank you aaron yeah man we were walking down Thank you guys for listening to the Labeled Podcast. My name is Matt Carter. I do the show along with Toby Morell and Aaron Lunsford. This episode's also produced, edited, and mixed by Melanie Studley. Assistant producers Marshall Fremuth, Reva Hansen, and Tyson Paletti. Special thanks to Adam Scatula from Tooth & Nail for helping to develop the show. All right, see you soon. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music, or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food. Whether they're here in France like me, all from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.